Are you ready for summer? Yeah, it's fine. As a guy that works from home, everybody just assumes I'm also off for the summer. Do you wish you had summers off? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun. I think I'd get bored at a certain point. It'd be hard to take off very long, I think. It isn't the same as growing up. Plus, it's it's too hot here. And your inbox would be filled with so many emails if you came back after summer. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to another episode of Touchpoint. Uh, that, of course, was Michael Vinsky leading us in, as always. I'm Reed Smith, joined by Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. How's it going today? It's good, man. It's good. Here for another week. Uh, episode 70. 70. It's a lot. Getting up there. Getting up there. So, somewhere around a year and a half. So, that's good. Uh, clicking mm-hmm. along. We're going to talk a little bit about physicians today. So, that should be fun. Physicians are really an interesting part of what we do in our day-to-day life, working with hospitals. Yeah, it's funny. We, we're very involved and not very involved. So we'll, we'll jump into that. But um, before we do, give a little bit of love to one of our sponsors, Loyal. Uh, Loyal's mm-hmm. AI-driven platform provides health systems the tools needed to amplify patient feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. With their multidiscipline team of engineers, marketers, and data scientists, Loyal partners with some of the nation's leading health systems to promote patient loyalty through a smarter digital patient experience. To learn a little bit more about them and maybe even schedule a demo. Matter of fact, we we recommend you schedule a demo. Visit them online at loyalhealth.com. That's loyalhealth.com. I feel like we maybe should have had a physician on uh, at this point and just let them talk about it. But... We'll do the best we can. Later on in this episode, we actually talked to an expert, Chris Barlow, who has been working with hospitals and health systems around their physician referral strategies for a long time now, and she shares a lot of great expertise. Very cool. Yeah, that, that'll be good. That'll be good. So what you're going to hear kind of leading up to that is uh, Chris and I kind of riffing on this topic and talking, you know, kind of from personal experience. This idea for this episode came to me actually when recently... I was talking to a marketing person, and they said to me, you know, I'm building out this referring physician strategy, and I'm just wondering how much budget should I dedicate to display ads on Google? Yeah, I don't even know, like, how would that work? You know, practice medicine in this town? You know, give us us a call. Have sick patients? Click here, you know, or something like that. What's interesting, though, it it really spoke to the fact that, you know, when when you're talking about building out referring physician strategies, you really have to kind of look at your digital components of that program in order to to help align with with what you're trying to do. Clearly, display ads may not be the right approach here. I don't have any data to support this, but I'm pretty convinced that doctors and referring physicians really don't click on display ads to learn more about hospitals and and the services they provide. I can't imagine anyone ever has. I, I feel like just by the nature that they practice medicine in a geographic area, they hear all and know what facilities are in the area. One, they know of mm-hmm. them. And then they hear from colleagues, um, you know, other providers in the office, all they need to know mm-hmm. about these places, right? I don't know that they're, they're online and it's like, you know, are you looking for a place to admit patients? And work that way. Being in digital marketing for many years, I've worked with hospitals and health systems, and you know, I'm currently working with some that are doing outreach strategies for doctors. And what's interesting is, is that much of the strategies that are that typically are done are really more traditional, like you said, in nature, more network driven. Having a, a team like physician liaisons, kind of doing outreach. In one way, you are you're trying to attract them, much like you would a consumer. A consumer has a choice of where to go. 
The physician mm-hmm. has a choice of where to practice medicine, and they can change any time. They're not employed, so there is that way of you know how how do we how do we do that, and what are those strategies, and what do they look like for primary care? Referring to specialists within your organization, that's something that we do a lot of at the at the hospital that I work at. You do have to share some of the information about your services, maybe your expertise, the specialties that you have, you know why you may be differentiated from other locations within the same city that may have you know similar services and why yours is a little bit better I get that when you start to intersect that with the things that we do like digital it becomes really unique and different in the way you you got to build out your your information to kind of support that strategy I mean but do you feel like this is more you know in the essence of recruiting physicians to your market versus, recruiting physicians in your market? There's two things at play here, Reed, so let's talk about that. One is about um, recruiting physicians, right? Bringing bringing physicians in to learn more about your organization um, and having them choose to work there. And I guess you can extend that if you're an academic medical center to recruiting, you know, fellows and residents and kind of people like that. The other piece of it is, though, is if you do highly specialized care and you have specialists and special programs like transplant programs or, you know, things of that nature, it's like, how do you attract referral business to your organization? how do you get the you know the attention of all of those primary care doctors maybe all those people in the market that are just you know not owned or employed by your your health system but they are they have a they a decision on where they can refer some of their their patients and you want to make yours sort of top of mind your organization does that make sense it does but does it happen via digital let's talk about each one in in turn what do you think Okay. Let's talk about recruiting. Again, extending that from an academic perspective to residents and fellows and that sort of thing. I get the need for digital in that in that aspect, right? Because they're looking at potentially, you know, you're recruiting them. Maybe you've had conversations, your senior leadership, you know, you, you have a physician, uh, director of physician recruitment or whatever it is that's having conversations, right, with these folks. Mm-hmm. Move mm-hmm. to my town. You know, we need a new orthopedic surgeon. Look at all the volume that we have. You'd be busy day one. You're selling the opportunity. And in the meantime, they're circling back online. And what are they doing? They're looking at your website. They're probably reading reviews about uh, the organization. They're probably finding out the other orthopedic docs in town. Maybe if they're joining that practice or not, it doesn't really matter. You know, it could be their competition, so to speak. And they're probably looking at the reviews those folks are getting and even making some determinants like, man, these guys are really old. You know, they're probably not going to be practicing a whole lot longer. You know, I'm probably going to have to have help sooner than later because if I'm already going to be busy and these guys are retiring. So anyway, they're making all these determinations, looking online. That's right. And one of the things you mentioned, right, they go to your website to look to research more about you. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised at how physicians can actually judge a health system by the state of their website, by just the visual look and feel of their website. I've had a couple of doctors sure. when I was working, I was working at a hospital out, you know, out in New York, where they would come to us and say, you know, you know, I, I like what you guys are doing, but your website needs some help. And typically, you know, if they've come to work for you, The second part of that equation is, and I need you to build me a better practice website. Right, because that's the deficit. If it wasn't for the website, but that's a a whole other conversation. Um, So we know that they're they're spending time online. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. right? And even past your website, probably, right? They're going to give that a cursory look and go, yeah, okay, cool. You know, they look like they have a nice website and... They know what they're doing, et cetera. Maybe they're part of HCA or Tenant or LifePoint or you know some larger national system. Mm-hmm. Then they're they're probably spending time online looking at uh, the town. So they're looking at the you know the local media websites, so TV, newspaper, mm-hmm. etc. Um, they're mm-hmm. probably looking at real estate. You know, wonder what houses go for. You know, and you mm-hmm. know, kind of doing that whole thing. What part of town are the good schools or whatever? You know, so you start kind of looking at those pieces, which doesn't have as much to do with you directly, but they're trying to determine, you know, where they fit. But I think that's an opportunity. 
Absolutely. And I've actually seen some organizations that have done this where they've created like almost like it feels like they're creating a tourist page on their own website for why it's great to live in this community and, you know, like making it a resource destination page of all, you know, if you come to work here, here are the ways that we're going to help you and maybe link over to some of the housing placement services and blah, blah, blah. Right. But then also, you know, here are some great links of the websites you want to look at to learn more about the community and to learn about the school system. Because, you know, if you bring your children with you, you know, all of those things that really kind of extends past your website, but really you become sort of the clearinghouse for that information through your own recruiting website, your HR website. I think, you know, whether you're talking about, we're talking about physicians specifically, but you could be talking about nursing, for example, and and you do because in some respect, maybe especially when you get into the nursing fields and some of those areas, and so this is more of just recruitment in general, I guess, you know, you need to sell the organization, the culture of the organization and, you know, the community that they're joining, because right. in, in some respect, practicing medicine in the hospital is going to be pretty similar in a lot of places. Now, you can go extremes and say, you know, New York is going to be different than, you know, somewhere in West Texas. Well, okay, mm-hmm. sure, you know, probably. But if you're looking at these, you know, X types of facilities around the country, it's probably going to be less about the features of the organization. Um, now, some of it's not. Some of them... Depending on the you know the subspecialty maybe you're in, you mm-hmm. want to be part of an institute or you want to be able to do research or you know whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you want to join other really super smart folks. So even extending it further to the residents and fellows that are looking to choose your program if you're doing academic or teaching, some organizations I've worked with have taken a look at how they present the residency programs and the fellowship programs online. At times, even creating a social media communities or social media-like communities on their website, which right. shows interactivity between the residents and the fellows and showing like how much fun and excitement the program is. Is doing kind of a nice blend between the uh, the academic program, the, the the residency program, that sort of thing, and who you're going to be working with. But then on the other side, how well tight knit this community is, the residents are, um, some of the social activities they do, some of the community awareness that they do, uh, either on again website or even I've seen some done on on Facebook. The idea of having a place to connect with other individuals like you, I think, makes a lot of sense. I think one other thing too that we we probably should hit on is when you're if you're choosing active employment with an organization, don't underestimate the fact that they're also going to look at your leaders and see what your how your leaders mm. are. And I'm sure you you might round mm. with them through the interview process, but thought leadership content, uh, CEO blogs, chief medical officer blogs, those things are actually become very important to impart sort of the culture that your organization might in, in, infuse or in part um, and you know even like where the leader leadership direction is which which is has a really strong influence on when people are choosing which uh, hospitals to go work for so everyone immediately thinks that means I have to write a blog post or I've got to be on Twitter or whatever. Obviously, there are the, you know, like ASCO, like the conferences and things like that. Where are your folks involved? And so you can take what they're doing and help amplify that through your digital channels, right? So if you've got a physician presenting somewhere, it makes makes you look smart or, or whatnot to post and retweet that kind of stuff. But don't underestimate the value of that as it relates to you know recruitment and other doctors getting connected with your doctors. Everything that we've just been talking about, Reed, typically does not originate within a digital marketing team. These are digital tactics that are done from maybe the communications team, obviously the HR team's involved with this, and and uh, maybe even the physician relations uh, departments are kind of helping to create this. But certainly the digital marketing team can provide some guidance about the best ways that they can uh, maybe present this, most effective ways to communicate, and even bring forward some of the experience that they may have around marketing to consumers online and and shift that mindset to how do we market to physicians online. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. 
you know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Moving from the recruiting physicians to, you know, mm-hmm. recruiting those physicians in your mind that are already there to better align with you. And, and that's what we see a lot of in states like Texas where they're not employed. There are a fair amount of communities that are pretty decent. Si- I mean, you know, decent sized communities that have two hospitals in town. If they decide they're not happy, then they can just as easily the next day start admitting somewhere else. It's a weird place to be. Now here in in Minnesota, I work with an academic medical center. We actually have employed specialty complex care programs, you know, around various different uh, things, cancer, cardiac, cardiovascular, transplants, that sort of thing. Those physicians are employed by the organization. And really those programs are fueled by referrals from community physicians, mm-hmm. from primary care physicians, etc. And that can be from within the community to over the greater region. And sure. in, in with some organizations, if your program's really good, like Mayo or Cleveland or others, people will fly in from across the country to come to your organization. Let's talk a little bit about like using digital to kind of help support those efforts. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you mentioned Mayo, and I think they, they're a pretty good example in the sense that, uh, you know, they have physicians doing these YouTube videos about uh, different procedures, different techniques, because they are, you know, on that cutting edge. So folks out there, you know, doing the research, because don't, don't underestimate also that the consumers find this information and then going back and telling their physician, hey, mm-hmm. I found a guy mm-hmm. that does X, Y, or Z. You know, and then that physician then refers to Mayo or whatever, right? The catalyst of it is, you know, the physician, I mean, the uh, consumer finding the information, influencing the physician uh, through this, you know, participatory medicine movement and actually referring in. Don't underestimate the fact that there are quite a number of physicians that do... Uh, like every everyone else, spend time researching things online. And yep. YouTube is a great place to research. So they may stumble upon that content themselves. Of course, the content has to be packaged a little bit differently. Like, so these videos, I kind of think of them as like, you want to target it towards that highly educated consumer almost. So it has a consumer feel to it, but it also double serves for referring physicians. If they come across this information, they can also benefit from this and get a good understanding of, you know, what your program can actually do. I think those community and rural physicians even, I think that's an interesting target because they are going to refer somewhere. Yeah, I mean, they're sending people somewhere. So how do you get your folks out there, get them visible um, and, and create that destination, if you will, whether that be just across town, across the state, or, you know, could be across the world, like we're talking about with some of these organizations. Another thing to think about, too, is, you know, as we're creating web content, a lot of hospital websites have web content content that's directed f- to consumers, right? That's where the majority of the, the sort of the web presence of their, of their site is around the consumers and creating content so consumers can make easy choices. Well, similarly... Uh, how do you start to develop content that for these referring physicians, for them to access the right information and get them to connect, you know, specifically to your programs? They may even have a separate physician referral line, for example. That could be a very simple call to action that you want to switch. Yeah. Make it easy. And not only make it easy, I think one of the, the, the biggest challenges with referring physicians is that they want to know that if they refer patients to you, that that's going to be a seamless, easy kind of thing. To them, it's like you, you need to, through your web content, somehow convey that or once you refer a patient into our program here, this is what we're going to do. Kind of give them, it's almost like what to expect when you're referring. It's a book in one of those series, right? They want to know things like, you know, if I refer my patient, am I going to get my patient back? You know, mm-hmm. and how often I'm going to be updated and you know, all those types of things. And so a lot of that you can do through content and a lot of it you can do through having tools, digital tools to make that communication easier. 
Right. So the decision referral number is one. I can think of a couple of different you know, pieces of technology out there that are referral management systems, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, you're able to refer your patients, get information back, etc. I mean, there's one, and, and in all transparency, I have helped advise over the years. But anyway, it's called Leading Reach, and uh, it's mm-hmm. a way for uh, organizations to put this piece of technology in physicians' hands allows people to make referrals and see the transparency around the referrals rather than just like when you go to check out somebody hands you a business card here's the orthopod you know that kind of deal so now there's some continuity in the referral patterns and so i as the referring physician know when my patient got scheduled on the other end what the feedback was through a hipaa compliant you know dashboard if you will or messaging Mm -hmm. i can get feedback Anyway, it, it just it makes it for a more seamless process. And so putting you know, technology in place to make the referrals easier uh, and seamless and accountable, I think also lends itself to doctors you know, wanting you know, to head down that path or to make that referral. So I'm sensing a theme here, right? It's much like what we do on the consumer side. It's making the transaction with your health system that much more easier through digital, right? Making the physician experience instead of the patient experience see what i did there nice. making that better which leads to you know i've i've worked in some projects where we've developed physician portals where physicians can log in through a website or through you know typically through a mobile app where they can actually communicate with the doctors on the back end but is this similar to that where it has communication to and from yeah yeah it has some of that and it has some well, some additional pieces to it. So, I mean, there's some accountability for the patient as well. And so the physicians can tell, you know, if the, if the patient is scheduled, not scheduled, if they've read the information that was sent to the patient, et cetera. So it just makes it a little more seamless for the physicians, you know, to be able to do that in a way that allows them to track what happens with their patients. So when we get on the list, I'm about website and, you know, technology in general, but you know, what about social media? Where does that fall in all this? Because all your referring doctors follow you on Facebook, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we have an immediate opening, you know, hashtag, you know, refer now. Exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think it goes back to the thought leadership piece. You know, it's not a transactional thing. Uh, right? Like no, no one's going to be following you waiting for updates, but the idea that you participate in these communities and, and your physician leadership, medical directors, you know, folks that are, you know, well known in these different institutes or maybe different service lines. Um, I think that's Mm -hmm. where some, some value is, um, you know, some of that information gets pushed out as maybe not actually, you know, CME, but um, CME is another another good example, by the way. And there is a way to do CME uh, via digital portals and tools. And matter of fact, we've got you know our, our good friends up at uh, Broadcast Med do that very thing through a digital digital channel. So, but I think the social media piece is more about thought leadership, and it's a longer term play. Uh, similar to how doximity could be used in this place in this play too right where you have these online physician networks where really the intention is to have your specialists be thought leaders and start to participate in the conversation around the research the academic advancements the clinical advancements and that really develops uh, awareness of your your physicians and your specialists and what they can do what about email i'm I'm not sure i'm behind the email scenario (laughs) Recently, I read a study about email and email management and um, how email is uh, the preferred method of communication that physicians have from a health system. Mm, That's a lie. There's no way that's true. What does that mean? You know, it's like, look, I don't I don't want to hear from you at all. But if you have to send it to my email because I don't check it. (laughs) Like, what? <laughs> yeah. like I, I don't know. I just have a hard time believing that I would love to see that broken down by like age groups, like bracketed, you know, to some degree uh-huh. or or maybe by years in, in practice, you know, or something like that. It won't be the super old guys. It won't be the super young guys. It'll be kind of that, that middle or high middle, uh, I would assume. I, I just I can't imagine that these physicians are checking email. First of all, I understand how email could be the thing that they would say that they prefer, but this is one of those moments where, you know, the yeah, but moments, 
Yeah, email. I get it. I think we all have email addresses, and it is a good way to get a hold of us. Yeah. But how you do it, the types of emails that you do, the way you communicate, that becomes a slippery slope. Yeah, I would I would be curious. I you know, if we have any physicians that are listening to this, I, I would love to know how often you check your email. Not not your personal email, but just you know, whether it's your private practice or part, maybe you're part of a health system or, or I don't know, whatever it is, but your work email address. I, I would just be curious. If you're providing relevant information, like about CMEs that you're holding, maybe that, that might be of interest. But then you have to think about the frequency. How often do you want to email these doctors? I mean, you can't use email for self-promotion, can you? I don't think that it would work. I don't think they would want that. I have no idea what you'd even send them. So I think CME is good. I think that makes a lot of sense, whether that's going out on the website, through email, social media, all the above. You know, CME stuff makes sense to me. There's a benefit to that, and they have to have it to some degree. Past that, the self-promotion piece, I guess you could get in a little bit of self-promotion, but it's got to be super relevant. You know, it's got to be personalized to some degree, uh, where you're sending it to people that only care that you got some new submarine over in wound care, you know, or whatever. For your PM&R docs, maybe maybe they would find that uh, really relevant because it's a quicker turnaround time. The patients can get in quicker because now you have more capacity and they get their patients back and maybe the technology improves healing or something. I, I don't know. So, I mean, I think you can do some of that. Uh, but I would say, for the most part, it's going to be driven through personal relationships. That that information is going to have to be handed off via a personal relationship. I think you're right, Reed. I mean, I think about all the emails that I get are related to my industry and my practice. And, you know, I may read one of, of many of those. Now, I'm a little bit more email tolerant because right, that's part of what I do. And quite frankly, if you start to get really promotional, I think there's a slippery slope around how many, how many emails that physicians are going to accept from you that are self-promotional before they delete you or mark you as spam or, you know, or just ignore you 100% without you even knowing. Sure. List management becomes really important when you start to talk about physicians and how they handle emails. While email may be something that physicians say they prefer, is this one of those cases where they just say they prefer it just because they don't want you to like get to them any other way? I think so. It has to, it has to be. Doctors, they're just another consumer, right? Well, are they just another consumer? Should we market to doctors like we market to consumers? I mean, we use a lot of different digital tools to get to consumers. Do we just do it the same way? Well, I think here's the big difference in my mind is we know who the physicians are already. I don't need to build a persona. Like, I know who they are. He's right over there. I'm not trying to wonder who am I trying to reach. You know what I'm saying? Like, with the consumer... It's like, I want to, you know, in this geographic area, well, I mean, I already know all the physicians in this geographic area. I have a list of them. You know, they're part of the local medical society and the thing and then whatever, right? And they probably have privileges at the hospital. Like, we already have a list. We already know who they are. Marketing to them is is different. I would agree with you on that. I mean, you're right. It's We still need to engage in some of the similar things that we do, but you don't, we don't need to build personas per se. We might have a PRM that can help us with that. Or maybe we just, like you said, you know, have a list of all the doctors within this particular community um, that you can reach out to. But really, I really see marketing as a complement to the relationship that they're that you should already be building with them through physician relationships or through outreach that you're doing yeah i think outreach is the way i know it's harder and harder to get a piece of their time but i think they're going to refer to organizations they trust well how do you do that if you don't have some sort of a relationship you know they're not doing that based off of an email or good web content or whatever right they're doing that based off right. of they feel like they've been heard there's the ease of referral. You know, there's logistically it's easy, right? Or they've made, you know, we've made mm-hmm. it easy for them. And I think one thing that we need to be careful not to overlook is uh, their involvement. You know, how do you bring them in and get them involved? Whether that be through, you know, formal relationships like, 
you know, some sort of a medical director type relationship. You can't do that for everybody. Advisory groups you could create, annual physician satisfaction survey type stuff. And that's cool. And you should keep doing that. But it's like, how do you form groups out of that and make sure that they understand their voice is heard? To me, in my mind goes immediately to your physician outreach team is your sales team. And so what you're doing is you're, cr- you're creating online sales support material. Everything that they do and they round about and they talk about with physicians, you need to create online complementary materials that will help them ultimately to build that relationship, to build that trust. Because after they leave that doctor's office, they're going to turn around and Google you. They're going to turn around and, and, and go research you anyway. So might as well like give the physician re- relations team places where they can you can refer them to to get more information. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Stephen, your your digital content is the I guess supportive piece to what the outreach folks are doing. Like it's got to prove out what they're telling them in person. If we say we value you and want to make sure you're prominent on our website, and then they go to your website and they can't find any of their colleagues. <laughs> you know, in your physician finder mm-hmm. tool or whatever. Well, that's not great. These folks uh, that now are just now come across as like, well, they'll tell you anything just to get your referrals. It needs to support that message that they're taking out as well. Getting back to the question, should we market to doctors like we market to consumers? I would say no. If anything, we should start marketing to doctors similar to how we maybe support a sales referral channel to us. And marketing, again, is not necessarily promotion and advertising, right? So it can be advertising. uh, It can be uh, relationship-based. It's about their experience uh, with our organization. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, now it's time for everyone's favorite weekly segment. Uh, touch point, touch counterpoint. We're talking about marketing to physicians, and specifically what I'm talking about, you know, marketing to gain referrals. Not not marketing for recruitment, like we talked about earlier, but marketing to gain referrals. That should or should not be the primary mechanism of the marketing department, meaning everyone comes to the hospital via referral anyway, for the most part. So why are we wasting all this money and time and energy marketing to consumers through brand campaigns and otherwise, when we really should be spending time building relationships with these physicians and creating seamless ways for them to refer into the organization and make it easier for them. So we should focus on the physicians or we should focus on the consumers. Which one should we focus on? You mean primarily should we focus on? Hmm, that's a good one, Reed. I am going to come down on the side of that we should focus on consumers first. Consumerism drives healthcare. And, you know, we talk about it a lot. We've talked about it a lot on this on this show a lot. But the reason why is, is because consumerism and consumeristic trends are influencing how people are interacting with our health system. And ultimately, we should, as marketers, primarily be spending time trying to address and understand that because the consumer 
of today is going to make the difference if we're going to, you know, in the future, uh, if we're going to succeed or not? Um, I mean, not unless we change the way care delivery happens. Because <laughs> you still have to ultimately go see a physician. So I get the consumerism piece in choosing your primary care physician, even an OBGYN, et cetera. Those folks don't ever come to the hospital anyway. I mean, OBGYN, I guess they do. They come, they deliver babies or what have you. But family physicians and stuff like that, like they're not even credentialed at the hospital half the time, pediatricians, et cetera. So when we're talking about actually building volume and and in margin-based volume, like that's all subspecialists and referral-based and ER-driven admissions. So why in the world would we be spending all our time on these brand, silly brand campaigns instead of going out and actually using that money to create better ways and better technology for folks to refer into us and building those relationships with them? You said, really, we shouldn't be focusing on consumers unless we change the entire care delivery model. Well, Reed, look around you. The entire health system is changing. We are moving more and more towards outpatient care. We are moving more and more towards mobile health care, virtual health, uh, various different options that you yourself have professed on earlier episodes <laughs> that you might prefer because it doesn't involve a physician. <laughs> Right. It makes things easier. And the model of care that we deliver in the past, where it's built around this, you know, attractive white building on top of the hill, the hospital is no longer there. We're distributing our care now to multiple different touch points. And some of those don't even involve a doctor. Right. I've I've been to a primary care visit, quote unquote, where I've only seen an RN, right? And so I, and I was driven there through consumeristic reasons because of convenience. And those are some of the reasons why. So that's fine, but we don't want those people at the hospital anyway. So if you're going to have a primary care visit, go have a primary care visit. We don't want, we don't want you at the hospital. But that's still the part of the, the model of care in the future, right? You want to you want to address that model of care because, quite frankly, that's where more and more of your your, your profits are kind of come from. Except for every hospital I work with is on like divert because they're full and the ERs are slam full. Got people sitting in the hallways. That's fine and good, but like you know, I can go walk down to the hospital and that ain't the case. Again, that's because we're not triaging the patient to the right point of care. I mean, what you're talking about is operational efficiencies, Reed, and you're saying we should stop marketing to consumers because of operational efficiencies? I, I would say, well, actually, you may want to stop marketing to consumers until you fix your operational efficiencies, but that's a different story. Reed, you, you got to understand that you know the consumer is actually the one that's actually making their selection, and the selection that they're making is not based on the fact that your doctors are referring in. They're sometimes making those decisions because it's more convenient. It's closer to them. I know that sounds good, and we like to think that's what people are doing, but that ain't happening. <laughs> People are choosing physicians because that's where their doctor said to go. That's why they're choosing physicians. People ain't got time to be researching. So unless you got a chronic illness and you feel like you've got to take the reins, which is not the bulk of people out there, you're going wherever they tell you to go. Here's the lab I want you to go to. Here's where I want you to get the imaging done. Here's the subspecialist I want you to go see. Uh, yep, I think his arm's broken. He needs to go see a pediatric, you know, orthopedic guy. There's only two of them here in town. It's still the same thing. It's still the same thing. It's all about relationships. But let's buy another billboard. <laughs> it is all about the relationships, and the relationship with the consumer is as important as your relationship with your provider. And let's let's just, let's just come to the middle here because I really think that the answer is somewhere between. I don't 100% uh, say that you should dedicate all your marketing dollars just to consumers and forget about the referring physicians. You need to look at the physician outreach that you're doing. But on the same hand, you can't just shift the pendulum the entire other way and just market to physicians. You need a little bit of both, don't you think? No, I would just stick with physicians. <laughs> I think this is the first argument you didn't come to the middle with me, Henri. Uh, no, I should probably come to the middle just for job security, but I don't know. I'll think about it some more.
All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast. And today I have the great fortune to talk to a person that I have known for a number of years and have come to really admire what she does in the space. And and what else, the other thing I like about her is that she has a similar name to me, and that is Chris Barlow. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Yes, we often joke about crispy and crispy. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. We're the crispies. Some people in our audience may not know about you. Can you share a little bit about your background and your history? So I'm in the consulting space. Uh, our small firm is in a niche space of working with hospitals and with their relationships with their medical staff. So it's hospital physician strategy. Um, some of my colleagues do a lot of work around physician recruitment, mm-hmm. not as headhunters, but what's that process, the onboarding of physicians, uh, retention of physicians, and my sweet spot is really around referral growth. So how do we help those organizations make sure that the right physicians in the right market know about their services and their specialists? So. Um, it's liaisons, it's referral growth, it's engagement, and it's leakage. In my experience, physicians are really critical to how health systems and, and organizations are really presenting themselves in the market. Now, my perspective has always been around uh, digital marketing, and and really a lot of that, uh, the conversation lately has been around consumerism. Uh, you know, consumerism is, is front and center, and it absolutely needs to be something we're very cognizant of, um, both from patient delivery, as well as how they understand and see us, um, how they access us, and yet I think that it's not just the consumer. A physician still has a key role in this. So, you know, one of the things I think about when we think about consumerism is what's generally the front door for somebody when they need access or to evaluate an experience within healthcare. Right now, lots of times that starts with a physician. That ability for us to help our physicians to feel comfortable with the services we provide at the hospital or health system level, to feel equipped with the tools they need to speak better to consumers. I love consumerism. Mm -hmm. It's so much sexier than let's go talk to our medical staff about our products and services. And yet I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's hand in glove. And we, we sell ourselves short if we don't acknowledge the role of the physician and the importance of the physician in helping to guide patients through the service delivery. The one other thing I'll say about that is I think when we have conversations with docs, lots of times what we hear from a primary care doc is, Patients will come in to me and say, I've done some research. My friends have told me about these two different orthopedic surgeons. Doc, what do you think? Mm -hmm. They still like a blessing from that primary care physician, even when they're doing a lot of their online searches or Mm -hmm. talking and getting some word of mouth. Yeah, and Reed and I have talked about this in the past around how Consumerism in healthcare is a little bit different in that while we are enabling more consumers' transparency into the system, there's still a lot of confusion, and they do like to rely on on people within the organization to help guide them through. In the work that you're doing, you're helping physicians become more comfortable in that role, allowing them that the ability to, to react to uh, patients that come in that have, have self-searched and made these self-decisions. So you're right. There, There's the evolving role of helping our physicians to be more comfortable with the informed consumer. Mm-hmm. The other piece of that is, and you know that old adage, uh, the greatest waste is somebody who goes elsewhere because they didn't know what you had to offer. So mm-hmm. the other huge piece of this is trying to help physicians understand all the services, products, the approach, and the expertise that these growing health systems have. With all the mergers and acquisitions, physicians don't know who the surgeon is like Mm -hmm. they used to, or they may not know that we've added three or four more subspecialty services. So working with liaison teams to help with a more focused conversation with our doctors to be able to talk about their patients and their needs and that referral chain mm-hmm. um, is a huge piece to it as well. Health systems make decisions to grow and acquire because it's a good business decision, but at the physician level, a lot of these relationships are personal. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at, at it from a business vantage point, and yet there's personal relationships that have been vetted with 
specialists over a lot of years. You know, one of the easiest things that I always say to liaisons, because um, leaders or specialists will say to me, so how are you deciding whether that patient should go to my group or the group across Mm -hmm. the street? And what I say to them is, I never have to decide. I say to the primary care doc, who do you have a strong relationship with? Mm -hmm. And if it's somebody in our network, then I support that. And if it's not, then I begin that process of engaging and education and conversation and letting them meet the specialist, Mm -hmm. and they make that choice. It's a conversational process. It's sales at the core because Mm -hmm. I... My expectation is that I move some business as a result of those relationships. If you give physicians the right information and you guide that, they get it. They know. And they'll say, well, I've I've used so-and-so and and I'm comfortable with him. Well, then I support it Mm -hmm. if it's part of the network. You know, it's interesting. I'm drawing a parallel in my mind. I spend a lot of time looking at like our websites and and making sure that our physicians are represented well through our provider directory and giving all the right information to help consumers make good decisions and help them kind of give it put the power into their hands it sounds to me like similarly there needs to be an effort around how do we develop sort of these online directories or even ways to present that for physicians have you have you been run into this in your business yeah absolutely well and and again it's it's happening so much more because of the merger and acquisition Mm -hmm. and people who used to be enemies or didn't care Mm -hmm. now have to be friends or the growth of subspecialization and niche services that we're offering. Mm -hmm. Um, Physicians' days are filled with taking care of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did a session and a physician said, you think all day about these marketing things. All day, I think about shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's that helpful perspective. Mm-hmm. So we have to make it easier and more simple for them to be able to search, to be able to find specialists, to be able to understand um, streamlined access into these systems. You know, a lot of physicians will talk to other physicians via text or some of the digital tools. Mm-hmm. But if we make it too hard, they just won't. They're not going to take time away from a patient to go do a lot of search online. Streamlined processes, they're begging for that every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that comes up a lot when I work with uh, physician liaison teams in, in our organizations. They're using uh, PRM tools or, or like Salesforce and tools like that to really, when they're rounding on the physicians, to keep track of some of the, the issues that are being raised. Now, do you, have you had experience working with organizations that have PRMs and systems like that? Yeah, pretty much um, it, it's a standard mm-hmm. um, for teams um, that are doing referral development work. Um, mm-hmm. f- certainly from a liability vantage point, it's important to be able to document who you're seeing, how you're seeing. It's also important for our organization to understand right foot, left foot thinking, mm-hmm. especially when you have a number of diverse people who are calling on doctors. So it, it becomes the central source for that. We use PRM tools a lot to help with targeting. Being able to say, as a liaison, you can handle about 300 docs. Mm-hmm. Who are you seeing and what categories of frequency should you be visiting those physicians? We also love to be able to use it for sales planning. You know, you saw Mm -hmm. Dr. Smith, when are you gonna follow up? What's the next step? And the last tool is really the impact or the measure. So when we look at liaison teams, we always look at measuring activity, but also what's the result? What's the impact we've had? The third piece that most leaders will tell you they love is the strategic intelligence. Mm -hmm. What are you learning in the market? What's the pulse on the market? Mm -hmm. What's the perception of the medical community? Mm -hmm. So PRMs are used by almost all teams these days, unless it's one or two people still in Excel. Right. But it's just a standard to me of what the um, the model needs for support tools. And it's amazing that you know when we talk about you know understanding targeting and, and really understanding the marketplace and referral patterns prior to even rounding on your physicians, that that data is available. That becomes very critical, I think, to as we as organizations start to build their their sales pl- plans. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I found again, it, it seems very similar to how marketers think about consumers, we're doing the same things for physicians. And the more we talk here, the more I'm seeing that parallel. Consumers want access, they want convenience, they want to make it easy. 
physicians want all of those same things. Mm -hmm. We have tools that we use, you know, to understand our consumers and understand their propensities and the models of the consumers. We have tools that we use on the physician audiences as well. Now, one thing I haven't seen a lot in organizations, though, is marketing teams and physician liaison teams working together. Um, Statistically, about a third of programs will report up through marketing. Mm -hmm. About a third will report through business development. And then about another third are disparate at different places they report to. When leaders ask me where should this report, I think it needs to report to the person who gets it. Mm. It's that simple. Regardless of whether it's reporting through up through marketing or a different channel, message continuity is front and center with mm-hmm. this. Um, I think sometimes everybody, it's, it's either a busyness or a turf that says, you know, we're just too busy and we're off doing our own thing. Um, Where it really needs to intersect, in my mind, is the whole piece of physician communication. Mm -hmm. So a liaison team is one avenue for physician communication. Um, It's limited in scope. I mean, I can only handle 300 docs. You can't have enough liaisons in a market, uh, a large market, to handle all of them. I think there's a, a lot that could be learned from liaison teams by marketers about what physicians want to hear, mm-hmm. um, how they perceive our information, uh, how they read, what they read, um, how we use or overuse some of our email communication or other tools. So, you know, to the extent that they can come together on a, on a growth plan or a mm-hmm. physician communications plan, I think it's absolutely essential. And I, I think we do ourselves a disservice by thinking that we all know everything we need to know and we can't learn from each other in that. But come on, it's the holy grail of getting the physician email. That's all we need is the physician email list, right? <laughs> I mean, right. that way we could just communicate with them because they read all of our emails. <laughs> yeah, don't they? <laughs> don't they? Like you read all of yours, exactly. right? Exactly. What happens with physicians, and I don't care whether it's print or emails or other digital solutions, if it's not relevant, and we're sending them too many, they will quit reading it all. So the black and white brain of a doc basically lives in that world of it's right or wrong. And they get so annoyed by the fact that we send them things that are not relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, most docs would say, you're, you know, I'm a pediatrician and you're sending me program information about your gerontology program. Really, I don't care. So if you don't know me any better than that, I'm not going to read anything you send me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really important to get their perspective on it and what they read, how they read, yeah. how they like to be communicated with. You know, I've often said it's not that physicians can't read. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to read through a lot of prose. So think about how they learn. Do it in bullets. Give them white space. Give them charts and graphs. You know, give them an executive summary first and then present detail about how you got there. So it's just one more thing in the world of someone who works much more with physicians uh, and how they like to hear things. Again, I'm drawing that parallel. It sounds like consumers. First of all, consumers don't want a lot of information. They want to skim. And then if they need to, they'll go for that deeper proof points to understand that. But prevent pr- provide the information in a very simplistic, easy, easy to consume way. And then secondly, the other piece that I'm running back to is understanding what their communication preferences are and communicating only relevant information to them. It sounds like you know the, all the things that we're doing over here from the consumer perspective, we can apply to the physician audiences as well, just you know understanding that. So maybe we're... We'll adopt a new term instead of consumerism. Maybe we'll call it physicianism. I don't know. What? Customerism. Customerism. <laughs> I love it. I'm currently working to develop a, a website that's really designed for referring physicians or for the physician audiences talking about our more complex care. If you were to tell me, give me like high-level advice from your perspective of physicians, what are the things that you think that they would like to see on this page? Physicians will tell you. Um, in order. They like to know who does things, what's the technology that backs it up, what are the clinical findings, uh, the data and the quality points, Mm -hmm. Um, again, in a very bulleted and easy fashion. You know, my ability to be able to search Mm -hmm. by a diagnosis and be able to say who's doing it, what are some questions I should know, who would be the right patient to send there. Mm -hmm. So it's basically thinking through physician process, uh, the diagnostic process of I had a patient present with, where will I go with that? Hmm. And if it adds time to their day, they won't use it.
What are some other trends that you're seeing in, in the work that you're doing with, with uh, the physician liaison teams? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest trends I think mm-hmm. we're, we're um, seeing the results of is more and more employed physicians. Mm-hmm. So lots of conversations around, do we still need liaisons? Uh, if they're mm-hmm. employed by us, um, doesn't the paycheck mean that they'll send us the referrals? Two, two trends have come out of that. Um, number one is... Um, our ability to think about how do we onboard practices once they become employed. We spend a whole lot of time thinking about how we marry the payer systems and the record keeping and uh, the system processes. We spend very little time in that first 90 to 120 days talking about an immersion of an employed practice and the relationships that will become a part of that. So I would say the employment trend, number one, how are we onboarding those employed physicians right away in terms of what the system and referral relationships might look like, which leads to the second is this whole piece of leakage. A number of organizations have stepped back now. They're using claims data and a lot of other internal tools to say we're employing these physicians and yet 60% of our tertiary referrals are leaking out of the system. Mm -hmm. So active Um, use of liaisons to begin to um, have those conversations about who is in network, um, creating some awareness, creating new relationships. And what I often say is use your liaison as the carrot Mm -hmm. and use your practice administrators as the stick. So let the liaison go in and try to earn the relationships, create new relationships, and then make those decisions if it if they're reticent or don't want to to bring in somebody else who's a stick. Um, so leakage is a huge issue. It's a it's a big dollar issue for health systems, and um, I think a lot of them are trying to get their arms around the back end of that because we sure. didn't really look at it on the front end of who we employed or how we set up the relationships. And that liaison becomes very critical to that role. So it's almost like they've become more than just a person that rounds in the sales capacity, more than just a marketing. Now what they're doing is really the experience expert. Right, right. And And it's strategic. mm -hmm. You know, I have to be able to know um, Mm -hmm. this this doctor's been very comfortable with this surgeon. Here's why. Here's Mm -hmm. what the expectations are. How do I find somebody that has great quality that I can demonstrate? How can I talk about ease of access? And how can I make them feel good for sending their patients our way? Because at the end of the day, those primary care physicians, they really care about that patient and making sure they've done right by that patient Mm -hmm. with the specialist or their organization they refer to. Wow, wow, that's some great information that you've shared, Chris. Is there anything, you know, as you look towards where the future is going, what are some things that you think that we as in health systems and from both the marketing and the liaison side, we should be keeping an eye on? Um, Well, let me start with liaisons. I think um, for liaisons to continue to have a strong place in the future, um, that voice of customer learning has to come inside, and there has to be good nimbleness to be able to say, what does my organization need from me today? Mm -hmm. Um, For a long time, liaisons have um, been complaint managers. Um, complaints will always surface through them. Um, But taking the strategic road on being more than just a complaint department and really learning to be a strategic partner of leadership. The other thing is we have to adapt to the market. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you talked about on the consumer side. We have to respond to what the market needs from us through good listening, through good thinking, through our ability to be able, let's change it and see if this is effective. Um, Instead of getting caught in, well, this is how I like to do it. Focus on what your audience needs are. Yeah, and you know, listen to them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you listen to physicians, uh, they'll tell you what they need from us, just like a consumer would. but we have to let their voice be heard. The other thing we're seeing a lot of with liaison teams is that ability to be to come back into the organization and say, 63% of the surgeons I spoke with tell me they'd do more work here if we could reduce our OR turnaround times. Hmm. So liaisons have that ability to not just tell one story at a time, but put statistical quantification to it, which really helps with impact, helps our leaders to know what to take on next. Valuable business intelligence as well. 
I don't know why any organization would want to do away with their, their physician liaisons. So this has been great, Chris. So if our listeners who are listening in want to learn a little bit more about you, what are some ways that they can reach you? You know, it always starts with the website, mm-hmm. right? So BarlowMcCarthy.com. Um, my personal email, kbarlow at barlowmccarthy.com, I, I think are the best ways to get started. We I write a lot of blogs. I do. I have opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a Monday morning minute that motivates, um, hopefully, field teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a newsletter. Um, so education is where a lot of this starts, yeah. and we love to do that. That's awesome. Well, we're going to link to everything in our show notes, so people that are listening in, feel, please go out there and click through and subscribe, check out the blog because you are a great writer and you know again I, I i you know i may not be an expert but i learn a lot from what i hear from you so this has been a really great pleasure we thank you so much for being part of this thanks for letting me share my opinions <laughs> not a problem right. we crispies have to stick together that's right that's right <laughs> very good thank you All right, that was a good episode read. We kind of took some twists and turns that we didn't anticipate um, in terms of our discussions and our argument. I um, want to thank Chris Barlow from Barlow and McCarthy. Chris is a, a friend of mine that I've known for a number of years, and she's really, really smart, and I really appreciate the insights she provided on building a good referral physician strategy. All the links are in the show notes that you can reach out to her. While we're talking about links uh, in the show notes, we want to refer people out to our website, read touchpoint.health, where they can learn more about us and other podcasts that we do, right? That's right. We have a number of them out there. We actually have uh, a new show launching here in the next week or two. So uh, once that's live, we will mention that here. But okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Recommendations. What what do you have this week? I don't know if you knew this. Well, you knew that I do play some musical Mm -hmm. instruments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? At least the ukulele. Really? I, I also play guitar and I, and uh, upright bass. Yeah. And back in my, uh, I would say my early days, I uh, played in a couple bands and we did a lot of recordings. And a fair number of the recordings I did in the past are on old cassette tapes. Ah, uh, yes. And recently I've been thinking about, well, I want to get those and somehow convert those. Get those onto you know, my computer. And I thought, well, I always drive by those places that say, you know, you can convert a, a convert to audio cassettes to digital or what have you. And then I thought, hey, there's got to be a better way. Cassette tape to MP3 converters. And I ended up purchasing one off of Amazon. Nice. And it's uh, the ReShow, R-E-Show, ReShow, audio cassette tape to mp3 converter it looks like one of these old walkman you can even plug your headset in this honestly if you really don't think about it so if i wanted to go back to the olden days and just walk around with a walkman i can do that certainly and it has a little clip for your belt (laughs) but the other thing about it it has a usb port and you can snap your usb drive right into there press record and this thing will play your audio from your cassette and record it as an MP3 on your flash drive. Nice. That's pretty awesome. I'm gonna have to order one of those just to just to have it. It's really affordable. It's like 25 bucks. It was, you know, certainly a cool piece of technology. Now, who knows what the audio is gonna sound like? It'll probably sound like what you expect an audio cassette would sound like. But in the very least, I'll have an MP3 of it. I'll still have a digital version of my old recordings. So that is my recommendation. That's awesome. I think I would like to take it on a plane. And have the little briefcase that has like, like thirty-two cassette tapes in it, you know, and like pull that out during like beverage service or whatever, and be like, you know, fumbling around through cassette tapes, you know, this, you know, the Oak Ridge Boys, uh, live at the Grand Old Opry. It's one of my favorites. Like pop that in, but I'd have to find the yellow Walkman Sport, you know, with like the rigid like headphone things that you know they just went in your ear or whatever. All right, that's good. All right, so I'm gonna go a little bit different. Uh, this is a recommendation, of course, but it, it's not quite the same like product nature that we've typically do. I guess I'm gonna recommend Delta Airlines. And not not just not just Delta Airlines per se, but uh, for those that fly Delta or fly a fair amount, or maybe you don't fly a fair amount, but you're going to be flying coming up. Uh, of course, you got first class and you have Coach, but they have something in between called Comfort Plus. 
So if you can get in the first class, by all means, get in the first class. But I will say Comfort Plus is basically the same thing as first class with just three seats instead of two. So you get the extra leg room. If you need earbuds, they're free. You don't have to pay for them like you do in Coach. Um, you know, drinks and snacks and things like that. You get a little bigger selection and there's no cost involved with any of those, just like first class. And so it's it's really, you know, pretty pretty affordable. Like if you know far enough out that you're taking a trip, it's really not much more than just flying coach. So look at look at Comfort Plus, and I mean it's like a lot more leg room. Like it's really nice. And you get to go through the first class line. If, you know, if you're not TSA pre-check and all that kind of stuff, you, but you, if there's a first class line at your um, TSA checkpoint, you can go in that. You get to board Sky Priority, which is right after first class. And there is reserved overhead bin space for that as well. Pretty cool. That's my recommendation. All right. Well, another great episode. Um, Lots of fun. Lots of great stuff. And um, as always, be sure to check out the website, rate, review us, uh, give us feedback. We certainly appreciate all the comments, all the suggestions, and all the uh, great compliments. Uh, For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we will see you next time. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.